The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and we are coming to you live from the Warner Center in Woodland Hills, California. This is the home for Autism Live. It is also the home for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. Now, I know last week I told you that we thought we were going to be live from the Fresno card office. Um, we are not live from the Fresno card office, although I just was with them on a Skype call. But um, they were moving, and so we decided to push that back and we will go there another time. Uh, but what a lovely, lovely office that is. And they have a brand new, I got to see part of it on the, the feed and it's a lovely new office. And instead we're here live in our regular home. So that's very comfy for me. And it is Wednesday and we do have Dr. Graham Pichet here with us live. So Traven is showing you some of the different ways that you can connect here with us. We're so proud of the fact that we're coming to you on more screens and in more way, more ways that you can watch it. They just told us uh, over at BronxNet TV that they're going to move our our time, so we're moving to prime time time over on BronxNet. I believe we're going to be in prime time on Tuesday nights starting next week. We'll let you know more about that information, but also check us out in one of our newer places on iHeartRadio. I do want to tell you that if you go to our homepage autism-live.com right now that our live chat is open. I have it open and you guys can be writing in your comments completely anonymously, completely free right now. You can write in on the other places as well and we'll be monitoring those as well. But um, what's nice about the live feature is that nobody gets to see your comment. If you're commenting on Facebook or YouTube, people can at least see whatever name that you've put there, right? And sometimes you just, you want to be able to ask a question and not have the world see that you're asking the question, right? So um, looking forward, although now I've helped myself out so that I have the show playing live on my thing. It's, it's, that's good. Uh, <laughs> In any case, uh, that's how much I've helped myself out there. Uh, that's why I don't normally have that up at the top of the show. Okay, uh, but we're thrilled to be here with you. We are going to be with you live for the next hour. Uh, Dr. Grampichet is going to be answering your questions. You can be writing those in right now. We do have some that were submitted ahead of time. Uh, and, and already I see that somebody has written in and said, yes, I love having Dr. Doreen live. We do too. Uh, so my friends, let's not waste any time. It's time for Ask Dr. Doreen. Dr. Doreen grand is the Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen grand Dr. grand Dr. Doreen grand Dr. Doreen grand is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. 
Welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. We have with us the fabulous Dr. Doreen Grampuche. For those of you who don't know, first of all, I'm her biggest fan, and I know that some of you would like to, you know, wrestle me for that title because you have lots of fans. Oh, that's so uh, nice. <laughs> but I'm, uh, I, I, uh, today I'm saying I get to hold the biggest fan title because uh, she's a remarkable person. She founded CARD, also founded Autism Care Today, uh, has been making a difference for more than... How many years? I mean, I like it's it's embarrassing to me. Forty, to say, forty, forty years. Like I, I, like it doesn't even want to come out of my mouth because nobody would believe that. You don't even look forty years old, oh, so it's like how can you? Thank you. Does thank she? I mean, tell me if I'm <laughs> tell me if I'm crazy. You don't. Uh, so uh, has been helping you, individuals on the spectrum from very young babies up through senior citizens. Uh, I always say that I consider her the preeminent expert in the field of autism. She also, one of the many things that I love about her is that she sees individuals on the spectrum as whole people, as of you course. should, as everyone should, but we know that that runs short when people have letters after their name uh, because they look at the symptoms instead of the person. She sees that individual as a whole person and then looks at the people around that person as part of the whole of what's happening for that person. Um, and that she's a true visionary, that she's able to see around corners and know what's happening thank with the you. autism community and things that we will need next. Uh, and thank you. What are you, are you kidding me? Thank you for all that you have done over the years and all you thank continue you so much. to do. It's a pleasure being involved with the wonderful families of kids with autism, honestly. Honestly. It's, it's been an incredible journey. The, one of the first things that got said to me was uh, Logan Shepard's dad said to me, welcome to the club that you never thought you wanted to belong to, but once you get here, you're going to see that it's filled with really amazing people. Oh, what a nice thing to say. And, and that has never been, you know, anything but the truth. So a great thing to uh, say. What a great thing to say. Uh, so... Uh, Dr. Doreen is going to answer your questions live here on the show, but little disclaimer that there is no expert in any field that could answer individual specific questions in this format. So just know that you're going to write in your question and be as specific as possible. Please let us know what the closest major city is to you so that we can figure out what resources might be available to you. But know that she's going to answer your question in a general nature based on what you've said. Uh, to help you to be able to go back to the experts who are close to you and have eyes on you or that individual to help you to do what you need to do. Um, and yeah. I have wanted all this week, so many people have written in and said so many wonderful things. Oh, nice. Uh, and how much this, because we hadn't had you for a while. Everybody yeah, got all excited nice when you were back, back yes. last week. Uh, okay, so somebody, I just want to address this first, because we have a lot of people out there that are trying to get their kids diagnosed, and it can be a little bit of a, a, a kerfuffle. It's difficult, yes. Yeah. So somebody wrote in and said, good morning, we're trying to get an autism evaluation for a 10-year-old. Insurance is, uh, they gave what their specific thing is, I don't know that I'm going to share that, and any help you could provide would be appreciated. They gave us their phone number and their email, but in general, for people mm -hmm. who are trying to get their kids diagnosed right now, what, what would you say to them? Yeah, it's it, it, depending on where you are, and I see the area code for this person, and I think they're in California. So I think, you know, it's not that difficult to get a diagnosis in California. Some states, it's extremely difficult, and you have to wait for months and months to get someone who can actually see your child and diagnose. But um, basically all you have to do is you have to find a person, a, a doctor who can diagnose. So you'll be looking for 
you, you should contact your insurance first and say, I'm looking for an autism specialist who can diagnose. Uh, that's not going to be a BCBA. It's going to be either a licensed psychologist or a psychiatrist, uh, a developmental pediatrician. Um, those are basically the three uh, people or three categories that would have had training in diagnosis of autism. Um, there are many others. Your physician, any of your MDs can diagnose as well, but if you want a really comprehensive diagnosis, you probably want to see one of those three categories. Um, and then you just ask your payer, your insurance company, to give you some names and you call them up and, and get on uh, their calendar. And that's really as simple as it is. And, you know, I, I, it's, it's one of those things I think you got to keep, like the first person you call may say no, and you got to keep moving forward. You have to push forward. That's right. And the, the thing that worries me, Shannon, is that there are some states where kids are still being put on hold for six months. And that's just crazy. It's just crazy, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, there was, I remember when there was a period of time in one place in California where the waiting list was two years. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know that when you found out about that, you said, this is crazy. And then you made yourself available so that you could diagnose a bunch of kids. Yeah, we actually, yeah, we actually formed a uh, psychometrics company so that we could like do testing and, and diagnose kids all the time. Um, there are states, however, like Michigan, for instance, where you basically don't have that sort of thing going on and families are stuck. I would, if you're in a state, uh, anyone listening, where you have a long wait list if you want to get uh, a diagnosis, I would really just drive to another state and try to get the diagnosis. It really doesn't matter where you get the diagnosis. Um, any physician, any psychologist from any state's diagnosis will will work for your insurance company. Okay, we had somebody who just wrote in on the live feature, and I'm I'm really tuned into that today. I have a question for Dr. Doreen. First, I would like to thank you for the tremendous wealth of information that you have provided. My question is: I have a nine-year-old autistic son who is highly verbal. Mm -hmm. He loves singing and music. He has pitch. Uh, he has perfect pitch and memorizes songs like crazy. The problem is he does not know how to monitor when he should be singing or how loud he sings. He sings in class, during classroom lectures, uh, lectures when he is playing with his friends on the playground, in the doctor's office, etc. He is unable to know when it's socially appropriate to sing. His friends sometimes think he's strange to be singing and when they get annoyed by it, he doesn't read their social cues whatsoever. Mm -hmm. What's a good way of helping him with this? Could singing be a form of self-stimulatory behavior? Oh, that's a great question, too. Yes. So now I have so many things to tell you. Uh, but again, uh, he, I, I believe nine-year-old, because I know yeah. that's always the first thing you like to know. So I'm um, just taking notes, because I don't. there's three different things I want to tell you. <laughs> so it could be a self-stimulatory behavior. Some of our kids really enjoy uh, kind of various sounds and and you know, I think I go back to like the 70s when a lot of our kids used to do this type of thing and we were trying to figure out what that is and again it was the same thing. It was trying to like uh, play with sound. Mm -hmm. It could be, uh, but for this period, like for now let's just consider it an enjoyable activity that your child likes to do, right? And it's totally a good activity and it's perfectly fine. And actually, I would want you to, I would really suggest that you nurture it, too. 
Um, we don't want to eliminate it. We just want to eliminate it in certain environments. And that's super important because as your child ages, you're always going to want to have uh, re rewarding, reinforcing activities that your child can engage in. So uh, let's make sure that we. all you want to do right now is you just want to give your child a set of rules that say these environments you cannot sing, period. And you don't have to worry about the explanation. That's a little bit later. That whole social cue thing we'll get to in a minute. Uh, for now, you just need to uh, get your child to not sing in environments that are going to like make other kids look at him in a strange way or just are inappropriate or whatever stigmatizing environments, right? So perhaps that would be in certain school situations, in public, and whatever it is. But make sure that however you get this rule, See, in the beginning, what we do is we give our kids, we try to teach them what's called rule-governed behavior because it's a lot easier than, than socially interpreted behavior. So you just give them a series of rules. Here you can sing, here you cannot sing. That, and, and you um, want to give that to your child. I, I don't know what his level of functioning is, but if you can, actually like write out a list so that he can read and say, is this an environment? No. Or is this an environment? Yes. And it's just that clear. Okay, so that is dealt with. The next thing is now teaching your child why certain environments are inappropriate, right? Socially inappropriate. And there's lots of different things you can do with that. It's a little bit, it's a much harder process. And uh, Shannon, as you know, we have a whole section in skills. Um, skills is the curriculum that we've written over the many, many years. And there's a whole section on social cognition. And this has to do with, it's not just social behavior, it's the ability to read other people's thoughts about us. It's the, to be able to interpret how people see us, right? So for example, um, if he's singing and a group of kids start to laugh, he might not be able to interpret that as, oh, they're thinking this is a little bit odd. He might think they think it's funny and they're joining me. Like he might completely misunderstand the, per the what they're doing, right? And so it would be important for him to start to learn what's called theory of mind and being able to see other people's perspective. But that is not something that you can teach overnight. Honestly, it's a series. It's a very long series of lessons and things that will teach the child to begin to interpret things differently. Now think about theory of mind. It's not just that people see things differently than we do. It's, it, it therefore influences that, you know, the, the thought pattern that people believe in things differently. People pr have different preferences. Uh, people have different feelings than we do, all of that. So um, we've written all of these kinds of things in, in a particular order. It's in the skills curriculum. I really uh, recommend you take a look at it there just because it's like I couldn't name all the lessons. I, I would love to, but it's about 100 different consecutive things, you know, that you start with just reading another person's uh, facial expression uh, and then getting to the point of understanding how you, what you did would have possibly influenced their feelings. Then getting to the point of understanding how you might perceive an environment a certain way or a thing a certain way and someone else will be the exact opposite. It just goes on and on and on and it's a pretty complicated series of lessons. So 
until your child has a really detailed understanding of theory of mind and perspective taking, um, it's going to be very difficult for the child to understand social appropriateness of various behaviors. One of the things I do want to tell you is as you develop this whole thing and get to the point where your child has some understanding that, oh, uh, people think differently than I do. That's the whole core of theory of mind. Then you can also videotape scenarios like your child singing, other people looking, and so you can even do a mock scenario. You can set it up, and that's what we do with our therapists. And then you sit with the child, show the video, and go through it and say, what do you think they're thinking? Um, do you think they like your singing? Do you think it's bothering them? There's a lot of different things you can do, but I would suggest that you right now first do a set of rules so that your child does, is stopping um, doing those, you know, singing in environments that are not appropriate. And then just literally go through the social cognition curriculum and go step by step. I promise you, it won't just help this thing. It'll help a million different types of behaviors that your child might be showing. Yeah, I would just add to it because you're so brilliant and you've been doing this for so long. You forget all the little things yeah, that you I do. Steps, that so. it, you know that the rule thing works mm -hmm. with our kids. It really, really works. But there's a bunch of little things that we have to do. We can't just say, "Here's the rule yeah. now. Now you follow it." We we need to help them with the rule and and sometimes distract them when they're you know and say, "Hey, we're doing this instead," and then reward them when they're not doing it. Right. Right. Um, there's there's a little bit of finesse to it, but but if you Definitely. want to learn how to do all that, that's all available for you at ibehavioraltraining.com. Easy, easy trainings yeah. that you can do that are, that yeah. are really um, inexpensive. I always like to recommend that people start with the compliance one. I know that isn't necessarily what the folks at IBT like people to start with, but I think when people see the compliance one and they go, oh, yeah. like there's a click and then you want to do the rest of them. It's true. It's <clears> true. But they're all valuable. They and, are. You know, like sometimes we, I, I feel like we're, we're um, you know, when, when a question is this, complex yeah and uh, the, the best way I can answer it is just to say go look at skills or go look yeah. at IBT I feel like an infomercial you know <laughs> and I'm not we're not it's trying no. to be an infomercial it's just that um, it took us I don't know maybe 10 years to write all of the lessons that are involved in social yeah. cognition or theory of mind and honestly when we started writing these lessons a lot of people were saying you cannot teach perspective taking yeah. and we were like oh yes you can this is how you do it and we published on that over and over showing that kids did learn how to take someone else's but you know the yeah the famous lesson where you blindfold the child and yeah. you have them take you from one location oh. to another. It really gives the child a lot of perspective. But at the same time, you have to do it in a certain order. And if you don't do it in that order, it can be a little bit tough on the child. Because yeah. they suddenly become aware of everyone and now they've become very self-conscious about like what are people thinking about me and that's yeah. not really the purpose of this. Yeah, and just so that people know because if they if we just hear them saying oh we blindfold the child they'll yeah. be like what? No, um, you blindfold the therapist it, uh, actually and the child tells exactly. the therapist where to go. And it's a game. It's a game. The, the kids love it. It's you know I think it's called treasure hunt. Uh, yeah, or this one is just blindfold task. Okay. Yeah. Well, and a lot of times, well, what I saw, I've seen them do. They'll they'll hide something, something 
something, yeah. And, and it, the child gets to hide it somewhere, and right. then the therapist is across the room, and they're blindfolded, and they can't see. Right. And it's like they play this game on Survivor sometimes, yeah. right? Yeah. On the show Survivor. And and the child gets to stand up on something high that the, that they're safe, but that they can see the room, and they and they make an obstacle course. Oh, okay, yeah. Right? Yeah. And they try to guide the therapist through the obstacle course to get to the treasure. Exactly. The kids love it, and it helps them to learn, oh, you can't see that. That's right. Or, oh, if I tell you, if, if the kids are older and they go, go to the left, but it's the other person's left. Yeah. Like, it really puts yeah. it in practice in a very fun way where they go, oh, why aren't you doing that? Well, I mean, a lot of times, as you know, kids, our kids will say things like, and even though you're blindfolded, they'll be like, go there. Right. 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 And it's the type of thing that, and, and also they do that on the phone, obviously, right? Yes. Which also is the same scenario. Yes. And when they do it in this particular thing, they suddenly realize, oh, wait a minute, the person can't see where there yeah. is. It really so I have brings to describe it, home. it. Exactly. It really brings it home. Uh, okay, I don't know why that isn't working for me. But in the midst of all this, people have written in and said, well, wait a second, how do I access the skills lesson? Okay. Uh, and then we have another person who's written on Facebook saying, I had skills, but I ended up not being able to afford it. Oh, yeah. And, and somebody else who's saying, I, I would like skills in my school. Really? And, and what should I do? So, um, but it's all a, a little bit of how do I access it? And, and the money for it, and how yeah. can I get it cheaper? And there's lots of information about that. Do you want to start with that? Well, I do want to talk about that a little bit, because <clears throat> my impression was that skills is actually pretty affordable. I think it was somewhere, I'm not, I don't, I can't quote how much it is now, because it used to be something like $65 a month, I think, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think it's remember? a little closer to 75 a month, um, but there, there is an Autism Live discount. Oh, great. Uh, so you should ask for that. I'm not sure what that is at the moment, but there okay. is an Autism Live discount, so okay. definitely tell them. You watched on Autism Live, you want the Shannon Penrod Friends and Family discount. Got it. They'll call me up, we'll have a conversation about it, because yeah. uh, I know that there's some new things happening over there. Um, but... There's also, you can apply for a grant for it. You definitely apply for a grant for it. And I, um, I might even, now that I have time to kind of run ACT a little bit more actively, and ACT is Autism Care uh, Today, which is our uh, nonprofit that I formed 15 years ago, I think. Mm -hmm. And it really just gives grants to families. Now, we had shut it down because we were, or not shut it down, we had... Uh, stop the grant cycle just because we were trying to catch up with fundraising um, but it was like a pause it was, it a, was pause. a pause it was a pause and <clears throat> excuse me we're about to open the grant cycle again which I'm very excited about and so if there's a lot of requests for skills that's a really awesome thing that I would love to fund yeah. And so I, I'll have to, maybe you and I can talk about that yeah. later, because I yeah. really want to start some individual initiatives so that when yes. people apply, they apply specifically for that, and it yep. just goes fast, faster. Because it is a small amount, but sometimes, uh, you know, well, I'm just going to be honest, when we were in the thick of autism intervention, it would have been outside my price range. Exactly. When, it's like the, everything the, adds up. Right? Because you have so many other things you have to pay for. So... 
Um, you That's know, right. for, if you're writing in about skills and and you're you know wanting grants, write to me specifically s. Penrod at autism-live.com so I can help you to navigate that. But for those of you who want to just go to skills because you want to look at it, um, skillsforautism.com go you can um, request to have someone to take you on a walkthrough of it um, i'm also happy to do that for parents because sometimes i mean that's deeply exciting to me i'm i'm skills biggest fan too. yeah skills i love fun. skills skills has done so much for me as a parent um, and i love showing different things to parents um, but I always say it's it's like a mall. It's a big mall. You don't have to go into every store. It, I, I just ask people before we go in, what is it you want this to do? Yeah. Because I guarantee you there's a store in this mall that will do the thing that you want to do. But let's not shop all of it on the same day. Absolutely. And, you know, you, I'm so glad you mentioned that because a couple of days ago I was meeting with the executive director for Skills, Andre, and we were talking about how do we simplify it. We're really focused I'm, I'm on trying to do He's that. He's pretty fabulous. I he liked is, him. He's great. And, I, and so I can't wait to talk to him about these kinds of things for you guys so that we can, uh, you know, make sure that the Shannon Penrod Friends and Family discount stays at scale. Yes. Um, I, think, I think, you know, I have, I'm, I'm optimistic about that. Um, but also some of you have asked about skills and IBT and having it in your school. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the pricing for um, skills for schools is vastly different. Um, because it's it's buying uh, a series of contracts and you can customize it. Lots of schools have been able to do it. I, I would say if that's what you want to do, just call over there. There's a phone number if you go to Skills for Autism. Just call over there. Tell them what you want to do and they will give you a quote. Sometimes they're like in different states. There's different things that allow them to do different things. Well, so. Yeah, or you can even just <clears throat> call them and tell them your school's information and one of the folks at Skills will then contact your school and try to get a contract going with your school. In fact, somebody just wrote it in and said, hi, I'm a BCBA and use the book Evidence-Based Treatment, The Card oh, Model. Uh, they say, I find this so beneficial. I especially love the appendixes oh, in the appendices, excuse me, in the back with the breakdown of goals. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge by writing this book. I would love to purchase skills as well for my clients, but the cost is quite prohibitive being that I have 10 clients. But when you're then you're buying at a different amount and they're wanting to know if there's any promotions. Just call over, tell them that what you want to do, what you're doing. They do it at skill, they yeah. do it for schools, they do it for ABA providers. It functions differently when than if you're buying it for your child, right? Absolutely. Because, because it's you know you, you need <clears throat> yeah. to be able to go back and forth. That's right. Children. You would not be you would not be paying seventy five dollars for each of your children. They would they would give you some sort of deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just call over to them. Uh, tell them that you heard it from Dr. Grand Pichet and Shannon on Autism Absolutely. Live. And I'm really and thrilled when I hear that BCBAs like skills and are using skills. I love that. I, I got to tell you, you know, as a fellow BCBA, you'll love the reporting aspects of it. It's my favorite thing about skills is how it generates data for you and how it can just produce the graphs that you need for your patients. Yeah, well, like I said, it's a huge mall and there's lots of different stores in the mall. Yeah. But, you know, for from one of my favorite stores in the mall is the BIP Builder. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. I, you know, because 
there's so much room for error, and especially as a parent, the first time I ever looked at a BIP, I was so overwhelmed. Yeah. Right? And and they would hand me a BIP. There was one time where we took, I'm not kidding you, four meetings with no less than 12 people in the room to write a BIP. <laughs> right? And yeah. it took months. And meanwhile, my son was engaging in the behavior, and nobody knew what to do. And right. so everybody was doing something different. Right. But then the BIP builder came online, and I've told this story before, so forgive me if you've heard it. But they handed me a BIP for my child and said, well, this is the BIP from last year. And I, um, you know, it's, I don't know how to read it. And, and I, you know, I, I consider myself a fairly intelligent person and deeply curious, right? But I sat down with the BIP, and I opened the BIP builder and I started comparing and I was like oh it says here the function of the behavior is attention so I you know I drop down menu over here and I plug that in I'm just gonna compare and then I and then it, it says here what the antecedent is and I go to put that in and the little system went warning this has not been found to be effective mm -hmm. and I was like what and then, of course, then I start to see the whole thing. The antecedent that they had put in did not match. And, and, the, and then when I got to the consequence, the consequence was somebody was going to talk to him about it. Yeah. Which is feeding the behavior. Yeah. So I went back into the IEP and I said, hi, um, your BIP right here where you have this, this is not a scientifically uh, based, evidence-based um, thing. I would <laughs> rather that you do this. You. And they went... We don't need to look at that paper. We'll, we'll, and then suddenly I had a different person at the meeting. Um, you yeah. know, it was yeah. like that just suddenly disappeared yeah. from, we don't need to, right? Ugh. And then he had a BIP that, hey, guess what? It worked. And then the behavior went away. Yeah. And we were... Yeah. This and you know what the what the behavior was for? Every time there was a writing task, he was in avoidance. Oh gosh. Right? And so he would do everything. And now I have a son who is getting ready to apply to colleges for what? Screenwriting. Wow. That's amazing. Because the behavior amazing. got dealt with appropriately. Honestly, yeah. And that's why you need a good BIP. That's amazing. Right? And how about the opposite side of that when we hear about people, the teacher who didn't have a well-written BIP and didn't understand it. Right. And so she zipped her child into a, um, a bag, a duffel oh bag that oh was meant God. for tell a me tennis this. balls. Right? And that's how the mom, the, and, and then they called mom and said, you have to come get him. He's engaging in behavior. Oh my she God. got to the principal's office and said, where's my child? And they unzipped the bag. He was in the bag. Lawsuit, let me just tell you. But that's what happens when you don't have a decent BIP. So we don't want that. It's one of the rooms and skills. You may never go into that yeah. room, but I love that. That's my store. It's a really good place. And, and uh, I have to credit uh, Dr. Johnson Tarbox for working a lot on that and really perfecting kind of the, the CIFA, which is the indirect functional assessment, which is the basis for a VIP builder is identifying what the function of the behavior is. And he did an amazing job with that, truly that did. Wonderful. Yep. So many talented minds worked on skills absolutely, and, absolutely uh, right. and on IBT. It's just sort of amazing. Okay, we didn't take a break. How crazy okay. am I? I just keep making you talk. We're going to take a break. Keep writing in your stuff. We're loving hearing from you guys live. We'll be back after these messages.
Welcome back to Autism Live. So last week we addressed a question and um, I, we had somebody who just wrote in and I want to say first of all hello and I want to tell you that we answered a question written by your family last week and I didn't have a chance to call you and tell you. But uh, mom writes in this week and says thank you for everything you do for all of us. I have a question. My son is 12, has mm -hmm. Down syndrome and ASD, L2 verbal bilingual lingual. He has troubles with transition. He started middle school um, in August. Uh, he has not yet adjusted to the schedule at school, lunches at different times, classes change as well. What are your recommendations for us and for school? Okay, sure. What was his age again? So, uh, 12. 12. And he just, he's in middle school. Middle school. Just and, started middle school. And they're, they're basically saying level two. Yes. And he's bilingual. Um, I, I don't know whether it's, but she has a verbal bi, B-Y lingual. So I don't know if that's really bilingual or, okay. or, so he's verbal. or verbal okay. bilingual. He, I don't know. And he's middle school. And what is the problem? Is transitions? So the, uh, the whole middle school thing has been hard. But yes, in particular, is very the fact that the schedule, that lunch isn't at the same time and that the, the whole thing classes was middle aren't school. at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, why do they walk out of their way to make it harder? So it's interesting because I, we very specifically, I remember when a lot, years and years ago, again, we go back to skills, but there was a phase where I noticed a lot of my younger kids hitting middle school and having these types of issues. And it really focused, it's very focused on the scheduling of events, right? And I'll talk about that a little bit. So what we did is we actually put a whole section of skills in which had to do with transitions that are very specific to middle school. Um, the, I forget, I'm trying to remember the name of the lessons that we wrote, but what, what we were encountering, and I'm wondering if it's the same thing for your child, um, was that a lot of the kids would have a very difficult time because middle school is when it, the, the, the schedules that are, you're given are not very direct. So for instance, you'll, be, you'll go to a class and first of all, there's a lot of change. You are now moving around. A lot of times in uh, elementary school, you're in one classroom. Middle school, you're, you're, you're the one getting your stuff and going from one class to another. Your teacher changes. Yeah. Uh, the group of kids that you're with change. Uh, so the direction you go, you can no longer follow people around. You kind of have to find your own schedule and your path. And then the worst part of it, I remember, was that a lot of our kids would have a hard time because they would assign you homework, which wasn't due tomorrow. It was due in three days or four days or day after tomorrow or whatever. And our kids just had a really, really hard time organizing themselves. Yeah. And so we realized that this has a lot to do with just organization. And we wrote a whole series of lessons having to do with task organization. And it is in skills. And it really has, it's funny to say this, but the best thing you could do is buy your child one of those old, um, what did we call those? Planners. Planners. Planners, exactly, and and really teach your child how to use a planner. Now, if you want, you can also do that on an iPhone or something, yeah. but it's all about using a planner so that everything that is... I had to literally do this with all of my kids when they entered. This is good for all kids, not yep. just our kids on the spectrum. But teaching them to actually, when you receive an assignment, 
to actually consider that something that you have to do that night, for example. Um, when you're going from one activity to the next, like, in other words, you, you mentioned your child's issue is transitioning, and transitioning, um, you just get better at as you keep doing it. It's a thing that you'll just start to get much better at as you practice it. But it does have a lot to do with anxiety. And generally speaking, if you don't know what you're transitioning into, you're gonna tend to have a harder time going to the next activity. Mm -hmm. And particularly if the activity you're in right now is somewhat enjoyable or safe or familiar, uh, you're gonna have a very hard time going into another activity. So like everything that Chan and I often talk about this, if you wanna teach a specific skill, you focus on that skill and you work it, not when it's happening in real life, but you know, as a lesson, as a lesson, you, you specifically pick a particular t amount of time and you focus on that. Uh, just like if we wanna, I don't know, physically get shape in shape, we s pick an hour and go work out. Like you have Is to that have what we do? I'm not that. sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, I don't know that lesson. But yes, I hear that. But uh, this, is, this is the same thing, right? Yeah. So you have to pick a certain amount of time and focus on transitioning your child from preferred to unpreferred activities. And the way that you do it is they're in a preferred activity. Well, first of all, what you should start out with is just going from a neutral activity to a neutral activity. So two things that are approximately the same level of reinforcement, you have your child discontinue. So there's so many aspects of transitioning. Sometimes our kids just want to gain closure. That's again an anxiety thing. They want to finish an activity before they can let it go. A lot of us are like that. But what you, the task, the first task is to interrupt your child in the middle of an activity and have them just leave it alone, right? And then some time goes by, reward them for do, being able to do that. The next phase is to go from a neutral to a neutral activity. And again, as soon as they move, you give them a reinforcer in the new neutral activity. Next is to go from a preferred activity to a non-preferred activity or just a neutral activity. And again, you just, you prompt them, you model for them, you coach them, you take them to the next activity, you reward the, the second activity. And as you do, as you continue to do this, then you produce, uh, you mock produce situations that are more and more similar to what the child's going through in middle school. And the main thing to remember is that whatever activity they're going to, the second activity that's the harder transition, um, the child needs to have some sort of I guess reward or something that is, let's say, um, gives them a sense of security and safety. It could be as simple as a picture on the wall of the second classroom, right? So like work it out with the school. If you know that your child's having a significantly hard time going from this class to another class, make sure the second class has something on the wall that, you, that can, um, your child can anchor themselves to when they go to the class. Uh, make sure the second teacher knows to uh, check on them when they enter the class. And just little things like that will make a huge difference for your child. Absolutely. I, you know, it's funny because we have parents at CARD that are, 
just so confused by the schedule. Mm -hmm. And I was just having a conversation with a parent about this yeah. the other night. And uh, because we, it changes. Every day is different and yes. every week is different. Yes. So you have an A week and you have a B week and they are different than each other. And sometimes you have an A one week and you have a B two week. And, I, you know, people say these words to me now after we did five years of, of ABA therapy and I break out into a little bit of hives. Right. But what CARD did was created an app. And what it did was created a visual schedule for parents where every day they just, like you would for anything else, you go to the day and it tells you what you have. Right. And sometimes we forget, like when our kids were little, we make visual schedules. And so with the planner, what you're doing is making a visual schedule That's for exactly him. That's exactly right. And, you can, and so that he can look at it and go, what do I have today? Executives here do that. They look and they go, what do I have Absolutely. on my agenda today? Because And if you turn off their planner, you don't they lose their doing. mind. They don't Absolutely. know where they're going. They, there's no way you can keep track of. So whether it's that you write it in or right before Jem went to junior high and it was this wonky schedule where it was periods one through nine for Monday. And then on Tuesday, we oh, start periods so two and then nine goes to the end. Mm -hmm. And I was like, he's never going to be able to get that. I'm never going to be able to understand it. Like the world was going to burn down. I was so afraid. And you know what and somebody some showed days, me? And then some days they suddenly throw in something oh. like zero schedule. Yes. We're gonna... Oh, because we have an assembly or exactly. whatever, right? And just when you think you have it, <laughs> eh, Right, but somebody explained it to me. Jem had it already because he could do it in his head. But how they explained it to me was they took a bunch of index cards and made me a visual schedule and said, this is Monday. And then they went, now look, this is Tuesday. And they just moved the card from One here down. to there. Exactly. And once I saw that, I was like, oh, I get it now. Exactly. But you can do that for him, whatever the wonky schedule yes, is. Yes. And you can do it with cards. Or you can just write it into his schedule, depending right. on what kind of a... But I think you'll see that if he... When we have a visual schedule and we know what's happening, we're, we Absolutely. have less anxiety. A hundred percent. And practice it. This yeah. is the thing. On the weekend, practice it with him yeah. and say, okay, where are you going now? What are you doing now? You yeah. know, that sort of thing. I mean, yeah. actually, you can go to the school and practice it. Yes. It really just has to do with what are the things that are causing anxiety and reducing those things or giving the child something else that'll help them feel more safe Absolutely. and then they'll be able to manage it. And then your life gets better because then he's a happy camper at school. Because Yeah, absolutely. Because just like us, all of our kids are, uh, you know, they don't want to do something wrong. They don't want to get lost. They don't want to stand out. They don't want to go to unfamiliar activities where they might fail. I mean, I remember like my kids, typically developing kids, would have an issue with going to a PE, for example, because they're not very athletic, right? So those types of things, it's just, you know, see things from your child's perspective and it'll become very easy to plan. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, somebody has written in on Facebook and said, what are the major differences with developmental delays due to extreme prematurity mm -hmm. versus autism? Oh. My son has been diagnosed with different agencies, regional center, insurance, developmental, uh, insurance, developmental doctor, school district, and the diagnosis are not even similar. So... Obviously, her son was born premature, and somebody's diagnosed autism. What, what's the difference? Yeah. 
Isn't that annoying mm -hmm. uh, when you're just trying to seek a, a, a clarification on what's going on with your child? So the way that I look at the diagnosis of autism, and perhaps that's because I've been in the field for the 40 years, so you see a lot of change in the classification of the diagnosis. You know, when I first started in the field back in the 70s, it was we had a whole different series of things we were looking for. Like one of the symptoms of autism back then, and I think it, it was either the second or the third diagnostic manual, was something like uh, the child has, doesn't, is insensitive to pain. I mean, like things that we don't even look at anymore right now. So there were, so the, when the diagnostic criteria, when the symptoms change all that often, like they've changed four times in the period of time I've been involved, um, it tells you that the symptoms are not diagnostic, they're, they're descriptive. So they're not, if, if your child has these symptoms, he must have autism. It's more like most kids with autism have these symptoms. So I wouldn't be too focused on the diagnosis. I always tell parents, the diagnosis is useful because you will get funding. That, that is the only use of the diagnosis. All children on the spectrum have a different set of symptoms. Some, there are some uh, commonalities, but one child will have one symptom that another child won't have, and they both will be under the umbrella of ASD. So what I uh, really suggest, and, and to answer your question more specifically, yes, there will be some similarities from premature babies who will have uh, certain types of behaviors that are very similar to autism. The way that the diagnosis of autism works, though, is that you have to have specific, a specific number of symptoms within certain areas. So in the social communication area, you need to have X number of symptoms. In the repetitive behaviors, you need to have X number of symptoms. So it becomes really important that you sort of uh, you know, fit that criteria. But yeah, they could be very similar. With a premature baby, you probably have some of the symptoms, not necessarily all that will lead to a specific diagnosis of autism. For example, you might have two symptoms where three are required, that kind of thing. But having said all that, don't even worry about it. If you have a diagnosis of autism, get your funding and get your intervention, get your ABA going. Because, and if you have a, a, a diagnosis of just prematurity or a developmental delay or something like that, try to get help. You will have less access to funding with, without a diagnosis of autism just because your situation will be less severe. But having said that, get ABA because it's all about teaching those skills. It, it doesn't matter what, as I've always said, Shannon, the way you look at autism or any other, any other disorder, it's like we're looking at ADHD this way, we're looking at global delay, developmental delay, uh, intellectual delay, any kind of delay. What you do is you list all the things that are like delayed in contrast to peers and all the things that are excessive in contrast to peers and you balance them. You teach the child using ABA techniques how to do less of these things, for example, less screaming, less tantruming, less aggression, and less self-stimulatory behavior, and more of these things, for example, more social, more conversation, more language, more play, etc. And you try to bring the child within what we classify as kind of the normal realm of all behaviors for that age, and that's it, and that is your goal. So 
whatever the diagnosis, your goal should be to increase functional behaviors and decrease challenging behaviors, and, and that's it. Yeah. I think as parents, we get all hung up on the diagnosis, right? Yes. And it's like the thing that we hang everything on. But I'm here to tell you that the diagnosis shouldn't define our child or their progress or where we expect them right. to be. What, it, what as parents, what's useful is, is if we take the diagnosis to define where we're going to go to get funding to help our child get what they need. Exactly. And that's it. And then everything else, you just sort of shove into a back closet and you go, not dealing with that. Um, because it, it's like all the stuff that's not useful to you. Right. It, if it gets, if having the diagnosis gets you the therapy that you need to help your child to be able to do the things that they want to do, it's like that's enough. Right. Right. But everybody else will try to bring their, you know, what's the diagnosis? Don't you find, I mean, I have many friends, unfortunately, that are going through cancer right now, and everybody wants to know, well, what stage, what, you know, and, and they will all say, that's not helpful or useful to me right now. This is what I'm doing for treatment. I wish as an autism community, we would gather around that too, because the same thing. No, no, no. Okay. Your level, whatever, meh, I don't care. Yeah. Let's treat, let's yeah. treat you. You're an individual. You're here and you need to learn some skills to cope and you need to learn some skills so that you don't have to throw a tantrum. Let's just do that. That's right. That's let's exactly. just do that. Right. And not worry about everybody else's Michigas, as my friend right. says. Honestly. Right? Like, yeah. just move that to the back of the bus. Okay, now, since we've been talking about middle school and high school, somebody wrote in and said, my child going to middle school is also my fear. I don't see that he will be able to be successful there because of all the transitions. Elementary school seems barely doable in public school. What will happen if my child is unable to adapt to a public middle school? Are there options besides homeschool? And they write in that they're in Glendale. And I think that we probably both have things. To, you, I, you have I, a million options. You have a million options. Yeah. And being in California helps, of course. Um, you start with requesting an IEP, Individualized Education Plan, and you can get an aid for your classroom. You can get an aid for your child specifically. You can get a resource specialist who can come in and try to help figure out how to make the schedule easier for your child. Uh, you can get accommodations from the school so that they make the plan, the homework, the schedule, whatever it is your child needs easier. There's a lot of things. You have a lot of options. But I wouldn't worry about that just yet. I would just maybe spend the summer uh, practicing. Honestly, if you have the opportunity to go to the middle school with your child and talk to the teachers ahead of the school year and figure out exactly what it is that they uh, are expecting from your child in detail, then I would work with someone to plan it and practice it. Yeah, and, and you know, you can have aides do all kinds of things. Yes. Um, when my son was in middle school, his aid was for executive functions. That's yeah. what the aid was for. And so they helped him at school to set up his planner, yes. work through his planner, you know, notice what was in his planner, hand exactly. in the thing that was in his planner. They're like, there's all kinds of things and it's individual. So, you know, you can find the way to do it. You, you, you know, there's just, it's just a matter of getting the school to be on board with that. And that's a whole Bonnie Yates conversation, but there's ultimate things that you can do. You, I'm so excited because you're going to love this next question. Okay. This is the first time I wish that we had buzzers and things, you know, how they have that, you know, you're the one millionth customer. Yeah. This is the first time <laughs> that somebody has written in with this and we always see this they write in I'm confused about the levels of autism most people mm. say my child is level one or level two 
but my child has two levels. Oh, good. Uh, level one for social communication there and level go. two for repetitive and restrictive behaviors. Why are there two levels? Congratulations, because you're the first parent who's to get it right in and said, I have the two levels because that is correct. That is correct. So a couple of years ago, actually, I don't remember what year it was now when they changed into the DSM-5. It's like five. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that would make it, uh, what, seven years ago already? Good it's been Lord, a while. It's been a while. We're due for another change, you know. Yeah, they okay. changed every few years. So, uh, <clears throat> seven years ago, they came out with the Diagnostic Manual 5, which basically said, okay, autism, it, it, before that, it used, we used to have, like, different types of autism, like uh, autistic disorder, and then there was Asperger's disorder, and then there was PDDNOS, which is pervasive developmental, uh, pervasive developmental disorder not otherwise specified, and so on. And uh, it, with the DSM-5, they said, no, 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 this is all just one spectrum with different levels. And the other thing they did is they, they in the old days, in the old days, seven years ago, there used to be three categories of symptoms. One was communication, one was social behavior, and one was this repetitive, stereotypical repetitive behaviors, which are very, very classically aligned with autism. Um, and what they did with the DSM-5 is they merged the social and the communication, and it makes sense, because if you think about it, you know, not having communication, not being able to communicate will delay social. Mm -hmm. And so those two are somewhat related to each other. So now we have two domains, the social communication and then the repetitive behaviors. And there are levels, there are three levels for each of those. So for example, in level one through three. And the levels have to do with the, the amount of assistance or support your child needs. If your child needs very little support, to deal with the social communication issues, then it's a level one. If your child needs a moderate amount of support in that area, it's a two. If your child needs a lot of support in that area, it's a three. And it's, if your child requires a, a little bit of support with their, with their repetitive behaviors or sensory repetitive behaviors, it's a one, again, a two and a three. But there are two domains, two distinct areas, social communication, and the presence of repetitive stereotypical behaviors. And each of those will have a number. And I've had that, I've said that multiple times. In fact, when you diagnose, you're not even supposed to mention the number. You're supposed to say with, you know, needing excessive support or needing minimal support or that mm -hmm. sort of thing. But whatever it is, a, a number for each domain. So for your child, you got it right. Whoever diagnosed your child did it the right way. A lot of times people just give one number and that is not necessarily accurate because one child might be might require a lot of support in social communication but no support at all in the area of repetitive stereotypical behaviors yeah. or the other way around absolutely I mean I think uh, you know I certainly know people uh, that would have been under the old Asperger yes right exactly. and they are very communicative probably would get a one of the communication but they are debilitated by some oh, strict routine yes. that they must and that that even yeah. leaving the house is a nightmare and people go well look how functional yeah. they are and they're sitting there saying I've got a real issue here that's right um, and and so 
this reporting system has actually been helpful for them to be able to get support right. because it identifies Absolutely them right. in different in different ways. Right. But congratulations on being the first person ever to write in. That's right. And and you know, and of course we always think that we must have it wrong, but you actually had it right. Thank so you. fabulous. I want to address um, this because we only have a, a minute and a half here, but yeah, uh, my I need to be upstairs exactly. Uh, maybe we should know. stop then. Let's stop. <laughs> so sorry about no, 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 that. it's okay because I'm always trying to push the limits. Um, and I'm supposed to tell you what's going on the rest of the week. So <clears throat> tomorrow on the show, uh, we have Lillian Carrier, uh, Carrier with us. She plays Drea on the new hit show, Everything is Gonna Be Okay. I talked to you guys about this um, last fall when they debuted it at, at the um, Autfest. Oh my gosh, this show is so hilarious. You have to watch this. Oh, yeah. This is Josh Thomas. He is an Australian comic um, who this he wrote uh, this show and he stars in it. He's hilarious. He is playing uh, the gay half-brother from Australia who has to come and gets custody of his two sisters, his two half-sisters, one of whom who's on the spectrum. Okay. And Lillian plays uh, one of the best friends of the girl who's on the spectrum. Lillian plays a character on the spectrum, is on the spectrum herself. She went to the audition with her service dog they cast her and the service dog awesome. so the service dog is on the show as well she's gonna be here tomorrow with the service dog oh wonderful isn't that wonderful, wonderful. we're gonna have a dog in the studio which is mayhem always but we love it love it love it and I love that show it's hysterical it is it's out there like That's it is great. it That's is out great. there but it is hilariously funny uh, and then on Friday let's talk autism with Shannon and Nancy we're playing a best of episode uh, for you guys to check out make sure that you are here next week because let me just tell you we have got stuff that's heating up until we get to April and then we have just incredible incredible guests so uh, we're out of time but thank you so much for being here thank you for being here we'll be back tomorrow you don't want to miss it until then give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too bye bye for now